Hello and welcome to the Silver Screen Podcast, a weekly episodic look at movies. I'm DK and with me today is Mike who, being the tired old man that he is, has once again graciously handed hosting duties over to me this week. Hello Mike. Oh, hello! Back in my day, <laughs> I wore a lemon on my belt, which was the style at the time! Oh, <laughs> no, hello okay. everyone. <laughs> Grandpa Simpson strikes. How you doing man? I'm all right. I've been a little bit under the weather as you know, which is also part of the reason as well as my advanced age why I asked you to... Um, Gonna take lead hosting duties on this one, but I'm excited to talk about um, all things Jurassic World, and I'm very much looking forward to the uh, the new one. So fingers crossed, it's good. <laughs> yeah, nice one. Well, I'd like to give a warm welcome to those of you who become regular listeners over the last few episodes. I'm glad to have you back, and for those of you joining us for the first time, hello. We hope you find it enjoyable and decide to stick around. You may not always agree with our opinions, but we're always open to hearing why. Now, today's episode is the 20 Jurassic World. Colin Trevorrow directed semi-sequel to Spielberg's classic Jurassic Park. With the alleged final instalment, Jurassic World Dominion, doing cinemas over the next few days, we thought we'd take a look at the sort of reboot that led us here. And as you'll no doubt hear, we've spared no expense. <laughs> you can insert the rim shot in later. <laughs> now, <laughs> the plot for a fourth Jurassic Park, a long history. Is originally alleged to have been conceived by Spielberg just before the release of the third film back in 2001. Laura Dern and Richard Attenborough were due to return along with the rumour of Kira Knightley as an adult Alex. The production, however, narrowly, never really got past the scripting stage due to the writer's strike and the subsequent death of Michael Crichton. Although the project never really got off the ground, it did feature several elements that may seem familiar. A mercenary-type character who trained genetically modified dinosaurs for rescue missions, and an action sequence taken from the Lost World novel that involved motorcycles and velociraptors. Now, it was Res Spielberg in 2011, with Trevorrow joining the production as, to write and direct. According to Trevorrow, there was a good weekend spent trying to convince Spielberg to change the name of the new instalment from Jurassic Park to Jurassic World. Casting took place shortly afterwards, with Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, Irfan Khan and Vincent D'Onofrio joining the production between 2013 and 2014. Now, it was released in 2015, as we know, and for a while was the third highest grossing movie of all time. It was also the, today, and adjusted for inflation, highest grossing movie of the Jurassic Park franchise, leading to an abundant merchandise, two sequels, the second and supposedly final of these being Jurassic World Dominion. Also spawned a successful animated series, Camp Cretaceous, that focused on Ooh. a small group of children, yes, <laughs> represent, uh, <laughs> on a small group of children with events in the series take part concurrently with the events of the original movie, the fifth and final season of which will be showing on a certain streaming service this coming July. As well as animal rights, the movie's theme, according to Trevorrow, is that of consumer excess and consumerism. Humanity's worst tendencies, wanting everything to be bigger, better, faster, etc. This is obviously present in the form of the Indominus Rex and the almost Disney-like presence the park has in the movie, with Hammond taking his place as a substitute for Walt, even down to the statue. Quite ironic, considering the amount of merchandise that the movie gave us. So, you got any thoughts on uh, on this this mic? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, I'm really pleased that you did shout out um, Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous because against all odds, it's probably the second best thing in the Jurassic franchise after the original movie, um, which really surprised me because it is aimed squarely at kids. And yes, it there really are a few instances good. of like, yeah. there's a few instances of like, well, it's ridiculous that you were able to escape this because you're a bunch of kids, but 
if you can get past that, it's really well written and it does, it actually ties in, it, the most recent one I think tied in with um, Fallen Kingdom. Um, it's yeah. starting to approach that point. Um, and yeah, it's surprising how well done it is and how much of the kind of spirit of the Jurassic stuff it has. So if you haven't seen Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous or you maybe are just kind of like, well, it's only a kids show, give it a watch and you might well be surprised. It's surprisingly good. Um, yeah, I think it's the Jurassic Park franchise version of Clone Wars when you, when you look at yeah. it. It's, it's it was yeah. for kids but the number of adults i've seen that just rave about the show and it is a oh, yeah. good show I, i've had the same situation people that are jurassic park fans but didn't really care for the jurassic world movies have went and watched <coughs> and they're really impressed with it um so yeah but yeah we'll talk about the other things you're mentioning as, as we get into it because there's definitely a hint of um talking about consumerism and people wanting things to be bigger and better and there's just an, an attempt at satire i would say there somewhere so. yeah We'll, we'll get into that later. I don't know if you... I mean, it's just like, obviously, the long long line of themes that the movie brings up. I don't know if you saw that interview with uh, Laura Dern and Sam Neill a short while ago. No. Yeah, uh, Laura Dern was mentioning how the age difference back then in Jurassic Park was completely inappropriate between her and Sam Neill because there's hmm. like 20 years between them. But uh, Sam Neill was saying that he believed that the original themes of that movie was GM crops, while the new one... He, he, in his opinion, is about the uh, the climate crisis. All right, well, that makes sense, considering the events of what happened at the end of um, Fallen Kingdom, not to get into spoilers. So I can kind of see where they would be coming from with that. Yeah. yeah. Before we go any further, it's time for our now usual spot, where we take a quick look at some trivia on the movie. So without further ado, it's time to go behind the scenes. And honestly, Mike, I feel that by this point, we should have some countdown-style music for this. You know, I, I I feel like I should have replaced you with Mr. DNA to do this one, but you know. Oh God! Well, ah, I could. I could. I could let's try go behind the seats. <laughs> let's Dinosaur not try to do that. DNA. Yeah, no, I'm thinking more along like, shall we get the old, old top of the pops theme? Is that available? <laughs> just have that playing in the background, <laughs> and then couple that with the, you know, Mr. DNA, and I guarantee we've lost. We'll have to just gain yeah. subscribers. <laughs> there are some sadists, sadomasochists out there. No, we'll not do that. We'll just we'll just keep with your fantastic dulcet tones given behind the scenes. <laughs> oh my god, you are desperate. Now, I mentioned before that it's officially one of the biggest earners in existence. But when it opened, it was for a time held the record for the biggest box office opening of all time, grossing over 524 million in a weekend. It's since been beaten by the usual suspects, of course, Marvel and Star Wars, but it still stands at the number five spot. So didn't do bad, all things considered. Now, several actors were considered for the role of Owen Grady before they decided to go with Chris Pratt, including Henry Cavill, Jason Statham, Josh Brolin and Army Hammer. Probably a good thing they went with Pratt rather than Hammer. It may have been difficult to discern just who was eating the park's guests. Oh. <laughs> Will will I keep that joke in? That's the <laughs> Now Bryce Dallas Howard had to undergo a training session during production to be able to run on in heels for the film's many shots. Can't believe you know that actually occurred. Katie McGrath, Zara, did her own stunts during production. The section where she's picked up, tossed around, and dropped in the water before being eaten by the Mosasaurus were all filmed by McGrath herself in a harness. No CGI, well, apart from the dinosaurs, obviously, was used in the section where she becomes an appetizer. There's also a little homage in that scene. I'm sure you've picked it up for uh, Spielberg's Jaws. 
Mm. Weirdly enough, the uh, Pteranodon scene kill uh, in that uh, the Pteranodons kill more people in this movie than the Indominus Rex. Hmm. Now, Harrison Ford was originally set to star in the movie, but dropped out in the early stages of development, citing several reasons. One of which was the quality of his previous movie, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Make of that what you will. Ironically enough, this was the second time Ford turned down a role in the franchise, as he was originally approached by Spielberg to play Alan Grant in the first one. Now, the main street... Sounds like you're actually in the aviary there with the Tyrannodons. (laughs) (laughs) As I say, we spared no expense. (laughs) Now, you know, if if, if you suddenly hear, you know, screaming followed by wet squelching sounds. Maybe best to, you know, stop the recording at that point, but until then we're fine. Nah, I'm going to I'm going to just be exactly like all of the idiots that are in these movies and be like, "No, it's fine. We'll it's, contain it's, it. It's, it's fine. I'll I'll, I'll I'll go in. I'll go in. It'll be fine." Oh, there's an hour. We'll right. contain it. It's going to be fine. Don't worry if you're near <laughs> any of the big exhibits and stuff. It's all good. <laughs> Now, the main street and boardwalk area seen in the film covers an area of 300 by 200 feet shot in the car park of an abandoned Six Flags resort in New Orleans, if anyone's interested. Want to visit? Maybe, you know, if you're attacked, you can pick up your drinks and and run. I assumed it was an actual set. I didn't realise it was like like, like a constructed set. I mean, I didn't realise it was an actual place. Yeah, yeah. There's that many places in America abandoned. They probably just think, oh, what the hell? It's cheaper. Ah, well. Now, there's a popular fan theory that the Chris Pat character, Owen Grady, is a small boy from the beginning of Jurassic Park that Alan Grant terrifies with a raptor claw. Now, Grady's knowledge of pack behaviour could be instilled in from this, frankly, terrifying speech Grant intimates the boy with to teach him a lesson, as well as the comment on showing them respect. No one on production has confirmed or denied this, although oh, Whit Hertford, the actor who played the child, yeah, has dismissed this, stating, guys like me don't grow up to look like Chris Pratt. Although, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had some sort of confirmation of this in Dominion? You know, you're finally getting to see Alan Grant and Owen Grady on screen. It would be a nice little touch. Yeah. Speaking of which, and one for the collectors out there, Jurassic World marks the third time that Chris Pratt had a Lego minifigure based on one of his characters. Mm -hmm. First and second being? Guardians of the Galaxy and the Lego movie. Exactly. The uh, Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord. Now, uh, Lego used the same headpiece from that minifigure for the Owen Grady piece. So, obviously, nothing like, you know, cutting down on, on costs. Well, why not? It's the same actor. It would be logical, isn't it? Really? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm guessing you'll be as tickled uh, with this as I was, Mike. But during the gyrosphere section with Gray and Zack, the instruction video features Jimmy Fallon giving facts about both the dinosaurs around them and the gyrosphere itself. Among his many pratfalls, he informs them that the sphere is comprised of alum you'll have to forgive me, I'm not American, aluminium oxynitrite yeah. for enhanced durability. The common name of which is any idea, Mike? Aluminium nitrate? Uh, I have no idea. Its actual nickname is transparent aluminum. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it looks one for the it, Trek fans. There. Exactly, it looks like Doctor Markles of Plexicorp. Sorry, Doctor Marcus Nichols of Plexicorp finally figured out that Matrix and is living the high life on a beach somewhere. So that's what I discovered looking into the movie's production. Anything you'd uh, you'd like to add, Mike? Any behind the no, scenes you... trivia? 
You touched on a lot of the stuff that I was going to mention, which is um, which is good. Yeah, the other thing that I was going to talk about, which I will when we get to talking about that scene, was the Katie McGrath thing. Because you, you probably are not aware that I am like the world's biggest Katie McGrath fan, like obsessive. Um, so I was chuffed to see her in this film. And I know a lot of information about that scene. And uh, yeah, also thought she was very good in Supergirl for the, the seasons that she was in. <laughs> see, I didn't. I never, I never... I never watched. Was it Merlin that she was in? Oh, she was so good in Merlin. Yeah, I've never seen an. I've never seen an an entire episode of Merlin. So this was the first time that I'd actually seen her, and okay. it wasn't. It wasn't until Supergirl that I just thought, okay, I've turned into the wolf from the Red Riding cartoon. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm, I'm just impressed that you pronounced her name right because most people don't. So, <laughs> yeah. Ah, um, well, see, if if I can't if I can't do basic research then. Yeah. What's, what's the point? Awesome. Well, not to not to make it into a complete one-person show because there's a lot of people in the movie. So um, yeah, yeah. If that's, I mean, uh, if that concludes the behind-the-scenes thing, that was what I was going to jump into next was the acting. If that's okay with you? Yeah, that's not a problem. I'm going to say before we go into specifics, any any first impressions you want to give before we we plow on, or do you want to go? Straight yeah, I can do. Acting? Well, I can do. I can tell you that um, I mean, well, anybody that knows me will know that I am such a huge fan of the first Jurassic Park. It is the movie that I credit with making me love movies. Um, it's such an important film to me. I saw it when I was 11 years old. It is the first film I saw in cinemas ever. Um, and so, yeah, I absolutely adore that movie. And by extension, I guess the franchise, but we'll see. Um, so, yeah, I, I obviously went into Jurassic World wanting that level of kind of, come on, nostalgia or whatever. Um, and there's bits and pieces of it, so... I certainly wouldn't say it was a disaster or anything like that, but I'll, I'll get into my proper opinions later. And if anybody is interested in uh, hearing me just rave about Jurassic Park for, uh, I think, an hour and a half or so, um, I will post the link in our description because I have a podcast that I did with um, our regular contributor, Will Templar, um, where we talked about Jurassic Park. He saw it for the first time and I watched it for many, many <laughs> dozen times later. Um, and I still think it's one of the greatest movies ever made, but maybe I'm biased. So, yeah. <laughs> no, no, you've not got any argument from me. It's in my top ten. <laughs> yeah, awesome, fantastic. It's just such a good movie. Um, right. So yeah, uh, did you have any sort of initial first impressions or anything you wanted to share before we jump in? Like you, I was obsessed with the first movie. I'm a, I'm a bit of a dino nerd, so mm. yes, I'm not going to go into details because I'm going to let you give my opinion later. But yeah, I enjoyed it for what it was, but. Let's be honest, it's never going to live up to the original. I don't think the original's been topped yet, unfortunately. Spoiler no. alert. Um, but yeah, anyway. So, with regards to acting, any anything that you'd like to say? What about, what well, about just, let's go with Chris Pratt for a start? Well, I have just a list of kind of things that, that I could probably rattle through. But yeah, we'll, we'll go with Chris Pratt first of all, because obviously we, we should probably deal with the leads. And I don't know about you, but I found that it just seemed to me like a lot of the performance, like a solid 80% of the performance was just Chris Pratt doing his familiar shtick. Like, I didn't really buy it as a character. It was just another Chris Pratt character, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, the exception to that is when he was forced to kind of get serious and he had to be the voice of reason and the one that was like railing against the kind of corporatism and stuff. I found it a lot more impressive and a lot more believable as Owen Grady rather than just actor Chris Pratt. Um, but yeah, a lot of the time, I think he really should have been more restrained perhaps by the direction and stuff or, or more given more of a unique angle because there's like i said most of the movie this could be star lord or it could be 
you know, the guy from the Lego movie, even or any number of Chris Pratt's like action Ex comedy type characters. It's just another of those, isn't it? Exactly. It was it was very much Chris Pratt playing Peter Quill, playing Owen Grady. It, yeah, it was flavor of the month at that point. Yeah. So you get what you pay for, I guess. Maybe he was directed to be like that, saying, you know, just be your lovable yeah. self. Well, that's he, he just, that, as you say, when he gets, yeah, when he gets serious, he takes on an added dimension. But yeah. it just takes a little while, a little while to get to that. And at the start, the Raptor scene inclusive, you can't quite buy him as this ex Navy mm. character. No, I never really bought that anyway. But I also have issue with just the idea of the tamed raptors that I'll get to later. But I think that's a, a stupid idea to start with. And certainly, if you're going to try to convince me that these ultimate killing beasts from the first movie can be tamed, it's not going to be Chris Pratt that convinces me that you can do that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway. So, okay. um, and now, so, yeah. Bryce Dallas Howard, what did you think to... Uh... I didn't really have a lot of thoughts on Bryce Dallas Howard other than the fact that... She's really kind of good at portraying the, the bitch character, for want of a better word. Um, she really makes you dislike her, which is a weird backhanded compliment because I think that's what you're supposed to do at those points in the movie. But I think she got a little bit too cheesy and harder to root for when she kind of has the, the turns either way. Um, because, But again, it's probably more the writing than the, the actual acting because it just seemed a little cheesy and unbelievable and very convenient, I guess. So... I think, in a way, she might have been better served if the writers had just made her a solid antagonist all the way through. Um, but yeah, sorry. There were there were points where you couldn't really take her seriously. I know the yeah. the scene where he comments on a a footwear and she, you know, takes off a shirt, ties it round a bit, and says, "Come on, let's go." You, you, you're supposed to kind of root for the character, but it comes across as a little cringe. Yeah. I actually like her yeah. better towards the end of the movie, if I'm being honest, where she's just this scared. Because that's the character that she portrays in the first half is insanely as the character would be acting in the second half. You're not going to get this tough-as-nails person straight away, especially with, with that background. I don't know. I think, I think I kind of bought that a lot more because it was kind of, you know, a woman in the corporate world kind of thing. And I kind of... I appreciated the kind of the portrayal of her as kind of hard-nosed and more interested in profit margins than life and, and such. But like I said, I just didn't really buy the turn when it happened from that to like, oh, I'm, I'm now I'm all of a sudden caring and a family person and all the rest of it. And it's like, yeah, are you though? <laughs> I mean, and then, like you said, the fact that they kind of have to immediately, because they can't have her too softened, they immediately do the kind of action heroine, you know, bit at the end with her drawing the T-Rex out to kind of save the day. And it's like... Yeah, this just feels really forced. I don't know. Really I've, got, I've got to be honest. The entire section where she's running from the T-Rex with the mm. flare and stuff, it awakens certain feelings in me. It has to be said. <laughs> well, so, well, that's, a, that's a bias on your part then, clearly. Yes. Um, yeah, Price Stars Howard's a very attractive woman, but that, I can't say that particular scene did anything with, like for me. But um, If I'm being yeah. honest, I think the only prior experience I'd seen of her acting was Lady in the Water. You haven't seen Spider-Man 3? I wouldn't really consider that acting in that movie. <laughs> it's, you know, she turns up, gurns a little, reacts to Topher Grace gurning even more, and that's about it. That's all I can say about Spider-Man 3. Fair enough. Um, I think she's a very good actress, but I will say I think she's a much better director based on the Star Wars TV shows that she's directed so far. 
So oh, definitely. Make of that what you will. <laughs> yeah. I did think she was good in the uh, the Black Mirror episode. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget about that, but yeah, definitely, 100%. She's a good actress. Like I said, it's just that I don't think she's not really given anything to work with with these movies. And uh, there's a little bit of something in Fallen Kingdom where it's like at least now, you know, you can believe she's going to be this kind of environmentalist and this person caring for everything. And it gives us something to try and play, but even then it's forgotten by about halfway through the movie. So, yeah, yeah. it's a shame. I just can't both more for sure. Definitely, definitely. Now, what about a boss, Irfan Khan? I thought he was excellent. Um, R.I.P. By the way, because he passed away not long ago. Yeah, um, which seems to be the weird curse of people who play the owners of the Jurassic Park franchises. So you yeah. know, James Cromwell just watch your back. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I thought he was fantastic. He was a breath of fresh air because he was a character that seemed three dimensional for the first kind of. Well, not that there's none of them, but he, there's very few of them, and he seemed very like he he wasn't just all one note. He was he was excited for the park but at the same time he did care about people but he was also a little bit cocky and a little bit um you know th there's a little bit of humor with the whole he wants to fly himself but he's not good at it kind of thing yeah you did um, get the sense and um, underneath it all he could be a very very nasty person however he yeah. played that down with the fact uh, I'm, on, I'm talking about later in the control room but he, he played that yeah. down with the fact that he seemed to care more about the guests and the actual yes. well-being of the dinosaurs and i loved that and the fact that, yeah. you know, later on, he wants to do something. He, he, he's not content to just send people out to die. He, he wants to actually get involved. And and yes. I, I think I think he came out as a, a really likable, really heroic character. And I think it's a shame that he was dealt with in such an offhand manner. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. it drives the point home with regards to uh, just how bad this Indominus Rex is. And, yeah. you know, the events that conspired, you know, to take him down. But... Yeah, I think it was a shame he wouldn't use more. I really like, uh, I really like Mizrani as a character. Yeah, I do too. I think he's he's very he's an interesting character, and I think, like I said, I, I didn't necessarily see him as that hard nosed. I saw him as the interesting counterpoint to Claire because he, when he was being particularly kind of brutal, I guess it was because of the well being of people rather than just like, oh, I want these numbers to match or I want to make this money or whatever. He didn't seem purely money motivated. So in that way, I think he he makes sense as a successor to. To John Hammond as well. Um, oh, I'm not saying he's like an Elon Musk, completely. No, no, no. You know, devoid of kind of humanity character. Um, no, um, but so. there is. My point is that there is basically parts of that to Claire, which I think is that it's it's well played that you get that because she does seem for the first part of the movie, which is, again is part of why I don't really I struggle to understand her turn and and to justify it because it seems a lot like she's very like like I kind of alluded to earlier in the joke the kind of whole idea of. The Indominus Rex has escaped. Oh, but it's fine. It's nowhere near the other exhibits, so we'll just keep the park open and stuff. And it's like, yeah, really? That, yeah. that he, seems. Masrani is a much more empathic character than, uh, than yeah. Claire. Exactly, and that's even without the whole cheesy thing of like, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, foist these kids off on someone, even though my sister wants me to look after them, and I don't really care and whatever. Um, which again is a way less effective way of doing the whole I don't like kids thing than the first Jurassic Park movie managed to do. So you know, you yeah. can't even. You can't even follow the same beats as well, and that's not great. <laughs> <laughs> With um, regards to the kids, what did you think to them? I, I wasn't impressed, I have to say. I did not think they were good. They were... Um, I, I hate saying this, whenever it's child actors as well, because it's a cliche to insult them, and I know that child actors obviously shouldn't be held to necessarily the standard of adult actors, but I just found that the, the littlest kid only ever talked in complaining and exposition, and that's not character. 
it was either oh my parents are getting divorced what am i going to do or oh look that is a you know in dominant rexus such and such this was alive four thousand years ago this, this eats this fauna and i was like all right you're either then you're either an encyclopedia or an annoying just whiny brat <laughs> and I as as for the older kid he was just literally the horn dog cliche but i just can't <laughs> yeah. never it's just That's literally exactly just like, what i was gonna say he came across as incredibly creepy that one in the first half because all he did was basically stand and stare i know and right you just came to thinking oh my god if i was a teen girl i'd be looking for an adult yeah definitely and i also have to say as well the kids are just shit and they are basically responsible for katie mcgraw's character zara getting killed because they didn't even get punished for just effing off away from their protector and just going and doing their own thing and they're just nobody in the park cares these two little kids are just yeah yeah whatever it's, only, it's not like we have massive dinosaurs here that can kill you, you yeah but I mean? It, I mean in fairness they do have bigger things to worry about literally at that point well no they don't right they do eventually but i mean at the points where they're going first to the gyrospheres and then the other ride they went on first and when they go to the t-rex enclosure or whatever on their own um nobody's blinking an eye and it's like who's looking after these freaking kids Do you know I mean? <laughs> yeah i mean i like uh ty simpkins who is the younger kid i like I him other stuff, I, weirdly enough, i don't know yeah, if it's but... a carryover from iron man 3 or i like him a lot more in iron man 3 i will say that than i do in this movie he, he yeah. seems to be doing a much better performance there to me he was a lot more sympathetic in 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 this one obviously than nick robinson is his older brother because mm. as i say you know the the older brother until about halfway when he actually started maybe kind of acting like a brother because the script depended on it until yeah. that point you really just thought this kid's gonna end up with so many restraining orders by the time he's 20. <laughs> it was just like i said it was just creepy it was like he was stalking every girl he kind of looked at as like Ooh, she's she's interesting let's follow her in the light or whatever and it's like yeah no, dude. <laughs> and the fact that you know he's, he's not a douche to his girlfriend back home yeah exactly to and to the woman who's looking after them to be fair who's done nothing yes. wrong and he's just like oh let's ditch this bitch she's done nothing she's just looking out <laughs> for you <laughs> which leads us to go on let's let's hear it on katie mcgrath um well there's a huge amount of controversy about this scene because it is some would argue uh, certainly the common consensus is it's way unnecessarily brutal of a killing it's also one of the only times that there's no real kind of i guess justification because like in the previous movies it's always been like a bad man gets his comeuppance kind of thing it was also the first time that we'd ever seen a woman murdered by one of the dinosaurs in any of the movies uh, and this is the fourth movie as you pointed out so that's unusual um and it led to a lot of accusations of sexism on behalf of the filmmakers uh towards that character which were then immediately put to bed because as i said i've said in the past you can't always leap to conclusions with these things uh, when it was revealed that katie mcgrath specifically took the part in the movie uh, with the one condition that she would get in her own words a really gnarly death scene um <laughs> which is why she was given that scene as you said she was completely up for doing all the stunts and everything she was on harnesses she was pulled back and forth her death scene was originally not supposed to be zara it was meant to be one of the um trooper security guys um, but like I said, when they wanted to get Katie McGraw in the film and she requested that specific kind of death, they were like, yeah, why not? You know, <laughs> so it wasn't necessarily a comment on women or English people or nannies. It was just literally an actress who wanted to do something cool and gnarly and uh, get killed in a really brutal way. But yes, tonally, when you're watching the movie, it is very jarring. <laughs> it's very off in it. But respect yeah. to her for wanting to do that. I, my, uh, I didn't know any of this obviously until I, I was looking up for behind the scenes and my respect for it has grown immensely yeah definitely 
she's a really good actress and she's usually up for like stunts and everything and, and things like that and she she still has yet for my for my money to hit the, the kind of stratospheric performance that's going to really make her hugely well known supergirl was close but um i think she's she's got something she's got it left in her that she's going to eventually explode and, and break out into something bigger hopefully i hope so because uh, i think she's a you know i'm, I'm not as Obviously, as big a fan as you, but from her performance in Supergirl, I think she's a really good actress. Yeah, she is. And when you think that she's doing an accent in basically every performance, like she's not English or American, she's got the most broad Irish accent, and yet her mm-hmm. accent work is pretty flipping flawless. You know? <laughs> yeah, there's not, there are, I think there are only a couple of instances in the entire run of Supergirl where it kind of crept in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that was that was my thoughts on that scene and on Katie McGraw. Um, who I would say was wasted, but if she got the kind of role and the death that she wanted as an actress, then fair enough. She got what she wanted. You can't really complain. Yeah. That's fair enough. I think I think it, this, this script had a lot of quite decent actors wasted when when you look at it. I mean, we've already commented on uh, Irfan Khan, but I'm thinking Vincent D'Onofrio. He's kind of a yeah. one note villain in this. I love I love the actor himself, but I, in this, I don't know he, if I would say. Because he's not more of him. So yeah, he's a better actor than this role, to be fair. Sorry. Definitely. What about BD1? That's that's where I'm torn because like I said, given my kind of almost religious fervor for all things Jurassic Park, he's from that original movie, and I didn't like the whole kind of spoiler alert, the whole turn of like yeah. now he's the sinister mad scientist. And I was like there was no indication of this in that first movie. And I don't like the idea that now when I watch that first movie, I'm going to be thinking, oh, that's that sinister guy kind of thing. But having said that, it makes absolute sense and it is played very well by the actor. Uh, Yeah, I just don't know if I love the fact of that particular character being the one involved. It is very jarring because you've not seen him, obviously, since the original. And as you say, the turn is just completely out of the blue. But in an in-world perspective, you could you could see that happening. Yeah. I do like, this is not really related to the acting, but I do like that um, they actually give him the line to slip in to shut up all of the actual amateur paleontologists and stuff that he actually points out. Yes, look, if we were being literal, pretty much all of the dinosaurs would look different, but we're not making them look like they would have. We're making them look what people expect them to look like. Yeah. So all of the people that have been complaining for decades about like some of them should have feathers and some of them wouldn't look like that and it wouldn't be that size and stuff. It's like basically the filmmakers like giving a middle finger like, yeah, we know, shut up. <laughs> it's not supposed <laughs> to be a documentary. <laughs> I did yeah. like the scene where he and Irfan uh, Khan were playing against each other. Yeah, that, that was, was really a, good. a really good scene between them. And I think it, it's, you know, it shows just both how good actors they are and i've not really seen bd wong in anything outside of the jurassic park movies if i'm being completely honest i have seen him briefly in gotham playing um hugo strange he was not good (laughs) (laughs) but then again i didn't like that show i stopped watching after season two (laughs) i've never watched an episode of that it from the from the entire premise it it just but no um speaking of that scene though i do think that's one of the better scenes in the movie and it's probably one of the best lines when um you know, Masrani says, well, I didn't ask you to create monsters when I asked for something bigger. And he said, monsters, monsters are a relative term. To oh, a canary, you're stealing my favourite line, you bastard. <laughs> well, I won't say any more then, but yeah, I, I do. I like that line. It sums up a lot quite well. So um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's um, a very good scene. And and again, I think that the amount of 
the talent that's involved in this film, and with the exception of a couple of actors, very few of them get, in my opinion, enough to work with. And they're extremely talented. Well, I'll get into it because I have I only have like another four actors listed, and it's really weird because they're all somewhat underserved and uh, varying degrees of good. Um, so the first one is, uh, yes, it is perennial character actress Judy Greer, who appears in this movie in yet another thankless, you know, she's just there as a backup character kind of role. That woman, honestly, she is the hardest working woman in Hollywood and she only ever plays the best friend or the sister or... Didn't she play, it... like, the divorced mother in two movies that year, this and Ant-Man? Yeah, I was just going to say, she's in the two Ant-Man movies barely as a kind of also ran character. And she's so good if you've ever seen Arrested Development or oh. the cartoon the cartoon series Archer. She is amazing and she's got great comic chops and she's a really good actress and Hollywood just cast her in a freaking lead role already. <laughs> Come on. See, this is the thing. I cannot, I, cannot, I cannot see Judy Greer in anything without thinking that any time, at any point, She's gonna go woo and lift a shirt up to uh, <laughs> pixels. Say goodbye to these, Michael. <laughs> yeah. And I just keep expecting her to go. You're not my supervisor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. She's, she's a good great. actress, but she seems ex- seems very underused, and I'm not sure why people haven't haven't cashed in on her. She's it's because she's that good. Like I said, as the best friend role. I'm thinking of um, what's that Jennifer Garner like big rip off movie. Where she's the best friend in that. Where 13, is it 13 going on? That's 30? the one. Yeah, she's the kind of best friend character in that. And she's so good in that role that that's all she ever gets cast as. Um, apart from randomly when she was the like background ape in the Planet of the Apes sequels recently as well, which was also kind of like, she's not even the main ape. Come on. <laughs> oh, I, I had no idea she was in those movies. She's the kind of the, the ape that the lead guy has a child with or something along those lines. Um, so yeah, she's there playing it. Well, I see, I see it there. It's, it's a. Um, what you call it? It's like a motion capture performance or, or something, but still, like I said, she deserves better. But having said that, there was one scene where she was really bad, which I was really surprised by because she's normally very reliable and she has great comedy chops. But I've never seen her try drama. And when she's crying on the phone to um, to Claire Bryce Dallas Howard's character, it was really bad. And I was like, "Is this supposed to be bad? Are we supposed to just not be believing that she's genuine in this scene or something? Because this is awful acting, really." <laughs> So, yeah, one scene just jarred horribly. And I wasn't sure if that was just me or if you'd picked up on anything like that. Or... I didn't pick up on that, but that, that entire scene itself was a little cringe for me. It was yeah. just it was just there for exposition, really. And it, I don't think either Greer or uh, Dallas Howard carried it off particularly no, no, well. No, I agree. Um, but speaking of that family, the husband of the family, <laughs> I was very shocked to learn in my current rewatch of The Office Bloody David Wallace from The Office. <laughs> I've, is, is that the American Office? Because I've never, yeah. I've never watched. Yeah, the American one. Either. Sorry. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's not an actor, which is really weird. He he was hired to do The Office, even though he was from that world of um, like business stocks and shares, etc. Um, but he is basically the head of Dunder Mifflin for the first, I think, six years of the American Office. So he's like the long-suffering superior to the Steve Carell, Michael Scott character. And it's such a he's such a broad character, you know, or at least an important character in that world that when I watched it, I was like, David Wallace playing the dad, what's going on with that? Is such a weird bit of casting with the fold off. And he had very little to do. Oh, he had nothing to do. He's there for the paycheck, to be fair, but you know, yeah. Um other than that, the other things I wanted to mention were 
yes, obviously we get Lauren Lapkus and Jake Johnson in the control center, um, yeah. which is a tale of two different things for me because I like Lauren Lapkus a lot as a comedian. And even when she was in like the Big Bang Theory, she was decent, but I find her terrible in this movie. She just seems so stilted and so trying too hard, I guess. Yeah. And, and by contrast, Jake Johnson is probably my favorite actor in the movie because he's just so good. He's got such comic chops, even when the, the scene is more serious, he can absolutely play the reality of the comedy for it. He he, he slays, he steals lines and, and scenes that he's in, and he gets like the fantastic moment of heroism at the end, which is just, again, it's such a wonderfully subversive thing that the film just undercuts the whole heroic get the girl moment because it, it hits you with the reality of like, no, no, that's, that's not how life works, which yeah. fits that character really well. Plus, you know, he is the Jurassic Park fanboy, so that's naturally yes. going to appeal to us, isn't it? So, yeah. He's a, he's another one that hasn't really made it big, and you would have expected him to by now because he was absolutely fantastic in New Girl. He and he was, was great yeah. in this. And yeah. then he just, I, I'm not sure if you've seen him anything, but he kind of vanished off the well, map after that. And I was expecting bigger things. I do know that he got this role because he was in Colin Trevorrow's first movie, his indie movie, um, I think it's called, is it? Uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's something along the lines of Batteries Not Included, but it's not that, because that's a different movie. But yes, yes. He, was in, um, he was in Colin Trevorrow's first indie movie, which is how he got cast in this. Uh, and I know he's currently leading a very adult-themed TV series of some kind, but it's on one of the like obscure streaming services like Apple or something, so I've not seen it. Um, but yeah, uh, he, he is another one that really you would expect bigger things from, I agree. What about Omar Sy? I'm kind of glad. I mean, he didn't get much to do, but it was nice to see that he made it through to the end of the movie. And I, he didn't I, make an impact on me at all. He was just there as Owen's mate. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, he seemed uh, to crop up every once in a while, go, man, and then fade into the background. And I think he could have been given more to do. Yeah, I can't tell like, any impact. Yeah, yeah, I, I liked him as a character, but and, and I think they should have just, you know, maybe built, built him up a little more. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Now, what about the uh, the writing? Well, just, like, um, buckle up, here we go. <laughs> well, first of all, I mean, the biggest thing you have to get past with this movie, and it is still a struggle, is how on earth did this park get cleared to open? The events of the first three movies have still happened. People are aware of them. I mean, in the second movie, there's a T-Rex rampaging through San Diego, for crying out loud. And yet people are going to this park like, ah, oh, well, you know, there's been about a dozen deaths by dinosaur in the world in the last couple of decades. But, you know, I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> Mate, you look at, you're looking at a post-COVID world. Oh my word, you're not wrong, are you? It's all Republicans. I deserve yeah. the right to go and watch dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. If I'm going to get eaten, that's on my terms. My body, <laughs> my choice. Uh, unless you're a pregnant woman. But that's a different issue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, let's not get into the hypocrisy of Republicans right now. Indeed. Um, the other thing related to that is that I never bought this idea that the film tries to posit, which is one of the central ideas of, like, people aren't impressed by dinosaurs anymore. Because that's BS. I would go and watch a Jurassic Park sequel. As, as people proved with this movie... I'd go and watch a Jurassic Park sequel of just dinosaurs any day of the week, all day, every day, and I'm still impressed by them. I wasn't watching Jurassic Park 3 going, oh, look, it's the T-Rex again. I'm not impressed. I was still impressed by it. <laughs> you know, that's... Yeah, but we're nerds, mate. I can, I can <laughs> kind of see it from, that, from that, that kind of thing. It's like with Disney World. People want bigger, better, faster rides, whereas I'm, I'm just content to go to Disneyland and I would be on 
Star Tours all day. Hell, I'm fine with Haunted Mansion. Hell, I'm fine with Around the World in 80, around the world in 80 Days. Uh, it's a small world. Like that. You know, I, I'm, I'm, we're easily impressed. Maybe it's our age. I, I don't know. I've just remembered the name of that movie in case anybody wants to pull me up on it and listens this far. It was called Safety Not Guaranteed. <laughs> ah, well, you got the not right. I wasn't even remotely close <laughs> other than the one word not. But yes, that was it. Um, no, I, I see. I just don't buy it. I think people would still be, especially when you think that people seeing dinosaurs in person. The, the scene that really bugged me was, like I said, the fact that the, the film doesn't show you the T-Rex in the like paddock thing when the kids are watching and the kids are turning away bored on their phones and stuff. And I'm like, bullshit. <laughs> people uh, aren't that that sort of unimpressed by things are they or is, that, is this I just a, a sign of my I age you know? yeah i think it's i think it's our age mate because when you look at the things that like astounded us and thrilled us you show it to a lot of the younger generation and they're like okay grandpa you Lots know so it is but <laughs> I, I i can get i mean unlike i can have to disagree with you on that i can get on board with that I mean, when you first get there, I will assume you're instantly thrilled. Not like the kids in this one that just really couldn't give a damn. But, you know, the, the attraction suddenly fades. Who's to say that, the, you know, some of these I kids still, haven't been before? I still, I still defy anybody to watch that opening scene of Jurassic Park and not feel the wonder and awe of that sort of first shot of the Brachio or Brontosauruses and stuff as they're, as they're seeing it for the first time. And that's that, that hasn't went away for me. I don't think it necessarily would just because... Well, I wouldn't say dinosaurs are commonplace, but just because you could technically go and see them, people would still be impressed by it. And even if they weren't, I don't know if they would be more impressed by, oh, well, we've created a weird genetic hybrid of a dinosaur then. It's like, well, and it's still, what difference does it make, you know? Well, I think it's just supposed to be the bigger, better thing. I mean, obviously, yeah, exactly. as he says, it's it's all on consumerism. This entire island is just full of... Oh yeah, and there is that away. very on the nose, the very on the nose kind of like um, Verizon Wireless presents the Indominus Rex kind of. Yeah, it's it's, and that is kind of where we're headed. Unfortunately, it's we are a very disposable society, and what you know, everybody thought that again going back to COVID, things are going to be very different post the pandemic, and it's kind of come back to the way it was before, and it's a shame. Mm. Oh, well. Um, I have a very random note, but I wanted to share this because um, I, I, a friend of mine actually picked up on this on social media a while ago, and it kind of bugs me too. Nobody realized in the control center scenes when they're talking about the various dinosaurs and they're shortening the names that you probably shouldn't shorten the name of a Pachycephalosaurus because it's going to come out like a slur. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they do use it twice in this movie, and I was like, nobody picked up on this? Like, that always jars when I hear Lauren Lapkus using the P slur. <laughs> There are, there are quite a few things that you just think this would have been a little better thought out. For example, I mean, the Pteranodon escape. Mm. There are numerous, numerous. I mean, I'm not just on about the Pteranodon. They're worried about the uh, the dinosaurs getting down to where the guests are, obviously. Mm. The amount of structures on this island, and I'm not just talking, you know, shelters, but the restaurants, the shops, there are hotels, from what I understand, yeah. looking at the yeah. background material. None of these guests could have gone in these things to keep them no. safe. They had to have them all standing in the main street. Well, we know there's a kid's summer camp there as well. But anyway, yeah. No, that's, yeah. <laughs> that to me was kind of, again, true to reality. Because if people were at a place like that, they would be spending their time on the main street where, as I said, you know, Jimmy Buffett's there with his margaritas 
uh, Margaritaville <laughs> and that's where you've got all the restaurants and all of the big attractions and like yeah people would be there and it's unlucky that that's when things kicked off but that's where people would be it would be like saying well you know there was an invasion of butlands why was nobody in their cabin like well of course they weren't they were you know you'd say in the attractions or whatever yeah um, but if it gets to a point where it's a red alert and people are going to start evacuating from the island you would have thought that at some point someone in the control center would have thought wouldn't it be safer if we got all of these guests to stay in the room and evacuate them, you know, one section at a well, time. Let's not. You've hit on the point there, though. Is that, that that's the whole point? Is the control center isn't that prepared because Claire doesn't give a shit. I mean, like you, you're right. You're exactly right in what you say. But that was the moment to do that was when the Indominus first escaped, and Claire's response was, "Don't even tell anybody. It's nowhere near the attractions." It's like, no, that's the point where you say, "Excuse me, everybody. We've had a breach. Everybody, back to your rooms. We'll start evacuating people." until we get the Indominus Rex back behind any kind of wall. Not just like, ah, oh, it's nowhere near anyone, we're fine. And then as you say, that's that's literally, I think, to show their hubris of like, if you aren't prepared and you aren't overly safe, eventually the shit will hit the fan and you are going to regret not taking steps. You know but it's, it's, yeah, but it seems like it's done, obviously, for dramatic purposes, even yeah, though well, you just think in real life, that it's like that scene where they're chasing the Indominus, they get to the Indominus, the raptors stop, there's five minutes there where all the ACU troopers have the Indominus dead in the sights. The lights are on the side of the thing, and yet everybody talks for five minutes. That's until yeah. well, until someone goes, "Should we start shooting?" Yeah, that's another issue I have with the writing as well. Though in in a similar vein to that is that there's literally no reason to classify what the Indominus Rex is made out of, other than the fact that the movie wants to play it as a big reveal for you later. And I hate writing like that where it's like, well, why is it classified? There's no reason. Especially if you're trying to sell this as being like a cool big thing to the audience. Like you would say like, oh, do it you want to see front a... and center, wouldn't it? Yeah, you do want to see a T-Rex Raptor hybrid? This is how cool it is. It wouldn't be like, here's the Indominus Rex. What's it made out of? Can't tell you. <laughs> what, what, what's that mean? <laughs> why should we be impressed then? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like yeah. I said, because they need to play it as that big reveal during that stupid moment of, oh no, that thing's part Raptor at the very end. It's like, Ugh, that is lame, terrible, cheesy screenwriting 101. It really is. It did never seem forced. And, and yeah. uh, it's what it is one of those, like the, the, in my opinion, the structure saying you're making people in the movie make bad decisions just for the sake of the script. Yeah, and completely. It doesn't hold up. Yes, things happen not because they logically would in terms of this world or these characters, but just because the plot needs them to. Um, yeah. Which, that, again, that's my biggest issue with this whole idea of, oh, I'm now in control and I'm going to take out the Raptors to deal with it. Because, like, why would they be better than taking, like, armies and machine guns and stuff? Other than the fact that it's the plot of the movie and you had to have it happen at some point. It's like, I don't yeah. see why Raptors are suddenly portrayed as this, oh, this is a fantastic effective killing machine that will finish it off. Why? <laughs> at least it, point it, out. <laughs> yeah, it, it does come across sometimes like it's just a... a a series of elaborate set pieces that's, uh, yeah. you know, been thrown together. The thing with that, though, with the Raptors is, and I don't know if you, you kind of alluded to it, but I don't know if you know this. Um, and that's, again, my issue with the Raptors idea, the idea that they could be tamed, which is stupid, and the D'Onofrio character, is that they were all holdovers from a potential fourth movie that would have been far worse had it not leaked what the movie was going to be about. 
And it was basically just going to be the old uh, TV show Dino Soldiers or whatever it's called, where they were going to have um, raptor human hybrids that were actual soldiers. Oh, God, yeah. I saw, I saw <laughs> that. I, showed... thought, I ain't putting that in behind the scenes. That's just cringe for that. <laughs> it was so bad. They had, like, concept art of the humanoid, like, raptor human hybrid soldiers and stuff. And I was like, if this franchise starts going down this area, I mean, then Fallen Kingdom happened and cloning was a thing, and then it's not far off, but still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the minute yeah, you hit that territory, you're going into alien resurrection, and I'm not, and I, I refuse to countenance yeah. anything like that. Yeah, yeah, you never go full resurrection. So. No. <laughs> I did like the subtle nod at the beginning when uh, Gray was looking through the viewmaster, uh, mm. kind of foreshadowing yes. the events towards the end of the movie between the Indominus and the T Rex. Yes, I do like. There's a lot of kind of meta references to the original movie that I think work because of my love for it, which they're pure nostalgia bait or member berries, but it works because we love that original movie, you know? Um, and again, I'll mention I'm it well, I'll mention it now. Other categories that it fits oh, into yeah. include like the, the use of the John Williams theme, for example, or coming across the old park. So there's a lot of that. Sorry. A few other things about the writing that I had is that, like I said, also when it's, when it's trying to kind of be as highfalutin as the original movie and hit on a theme, it, it, it kind of gets a little better for me. So I did like, the hints of like you've got to realize we're never actually in control um as a kind of a continuing theme uh which yeah, yeah i like that because it, it's it's good to have somebody that has that common sense i guess um but on a less kind of positive note I, again i just thought it was really cheesy and cliche that owen has a history with claire and i never bought it for a second <laughs> although it does lead to one of my favorite lines which is um we have a we have an attraction that's not what you said last time <laughs> so yeah which is at least I funny, it, I guess. I think it was one date, wasn't it? Yeah, it's mentioned to be one date. Yeah, like yeah, it's. They, they, I think it was just we need to find a way to add a little bit more drama to the script. Let's have them know each other. Definitely, and related to that, I also thought the family divorce plot. It was just desperately trying to be a Spielberg movie and failing at it. So <laughs> there's no real reason for it. It's just kind of like we, we have to do that bit of drama. And it's, it just didn't ring true for me. Um, there's also a really terrible line that I want to call out because it's so bad. When somebody, I can't remember which character it is, but somebody sees the Indominus Rex and just goes, that's no dinosaur. And I was like, oh. what? That is awful dialogue. What is yeah. that even meant to mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, I, I, I can't quite decide if in some parts the movie is really stupid yeah. Or if in some parts the movie is really clever, because obviously they're meta-referencing the first movie a hell of a lot. And so you're kind of wondering if they're trying to create the impression that it's like a cheaper, more consumer-based version of that first one. Mm. Yeah, If it's I trying to it's... hammer that point home, or am I just reading too much into I it? I think you're giving it too much credit. I think it wants desperately to play to that original movie's strengths. And like I said, the fact that... The sheer member berries of like we've now found the original park and we have the jeeps that were used in there and we found the night vision goggles or whatever and even to the point that they pointed out in the behind the scenes and stuff they make pains to point out that the t-rex is in fact the same one from the first movie and that's why it has all of the scars that would the relate cars, to the raptor attack much, yeah. yeah and i was like there's again there's literally no reason for that other than just hey guys do you remember that first movie when the t-rex saved the day and it's like no stop it <laughs> There's yeah, no need. I mean, it, it, but, uh, as you were saying, it goes back to Giacchino's score. I mean, it's decent enough, 
but I think it's decent enough only because he uses so much of Williams. Score. I was just going to say it's not that great, really. It's it's great when it uses John Williams' score, which I think is again yeah. that's that's kind of a a microcosm view of the movie is that the movie is fine, but it tries to be better by just using things from the original movie. Yeah. To I mean, there's to, a couple of nice cues that. Yeah, there's a couple of nice cues that he does himself, that he comes up with himself. But for the most part, the only thing that really stands out from the soundtrack is William Scar. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he, I mean, he, I don't know about you, but but at the start when they're going on the monorail and they see and everything's yeah. working and the and the yeah. theme music from the original kicks that in, theme, it yeah. just oh. it, it makes me swell up and I just I get so yep. emotional. I'm with you completely. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't uh, couldn't agree more, and that's. But again, that's in a way I resent that because that's manipulation. Because that's the music doing the work that the visuals really should be doing for exactly. you. Exactly, it's, it's playing on your nostalgia for the original rather than create something on its own back. Exactly. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I did want to shout out a few good moments of dialogue that I thought were decent because they were amusing. Uh, since I'm being negative, I'll cut back to the positive side of things. Um. Right. I've already mentioned the whole, you know, we have an attraction, blah blah thing. Um. <laughs> the discussion that Owen has when he's like, "Oh, these things are animals. They want to hunt. They want to f. They want to, you know, they want yeah. to." You can relate to at least one of those things, <laughs> <laughs> which was pretty good. And um, her kind of getting him back with, "Well, you should probably take a shower. They're very sensitive to smell." <laughs> I like the uh, the I like that line where so what where they're they're in the van and the panicking, and the kid goes, "Is everybody dead?" And she goes, "Oh no, no, no. Everything's fine." And the other brother goes, don't lie to him. And she just completely ignores the first kid and says, he's scared. It's okay to lie when people are scared. Yeah, it's a cool moment. It is. Um, but re related to kind of moments that I found amusing as well, one of my favorite lines was um, when Claire just exasperatedly is like, can you not track him from smell or whatever? And Owen just says, I was with the Navy, not the Navajo. Navajo, yes. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it does yeah. have some some little sparks of brilliance in there, but yeah. it, it's it's let down on either side sometimes by booking it. And don't get me wrong, I enjoyed the movie for what it was, but it's never yeah. going to be the original. But I th I'm, no. I'm not sure if they've they've got to a point now where even the creators are thinking it's never going to be the original. Let's mm. just give them what they want. Let's just give them well, dinosaurs. I'm kind of hoping that Dominion books that trend by like the, the fact that they've at least brought in the main three actors. You know what I mean? So you know, I see. I had that. I had that vibe when I saw Ian Malcolm in the trailer for Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, but he was he was in it for like three seconds. That was just yeah. That was a, the biggest misleading BS. Like how they didn't get sued because he may as well not be in that movie. To be honest, but I, I I was really disappointed with that one. Like the uh, the field of brachiosaurs. Once the Indominus got out, and it says, you know, he's not killing him to eat he's killing him for sport for sport yeah, i thought that was yeah. quite emotional it, at first again we're going back to the usual theme but it's a flashback to the uh triceratops in the first one but i got I that, that vibe i also appreciate i appreciated that vibe as well with the petting zoo and the fact that the kids as you said because their kids were like oh this is liam it's for children and i was like oh, dicks <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> People are riding we're to and these kids are like, oh, we're going back to Grandpa Simpsons again. <laughs> a little bit. No. <laughs> On the other side, though, I do think, as much as I criticize the kind of plot line, I do think when the kind of kids do come together and do the whole, like, we'll always be brothers and they hold hands thing, that really did move me and that was affecting. And I was like, all right, this is, if this had been the kind of the vibe the whole way through, that would have worked a lot better for me. 
So. Yeah, the kids, it, in my opinion, the kids worked a lot better in the second half simply because one wasn't just there for the exposition, one wasn't just there to be, you know, Thorny. a stalker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like that thing where she where she says, you know, just hold hands, and she shuts them in the back of the van, and the little kid just holds his hand out. So I'm saying that I love that scene. That was the scene I was referring. Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah. Um, but just to just to shout out one more bit of really terrible dialogue at the very end when they uh, kind of have to have the dinosaurs fight each other. The line "We need more teeth." I just groaned. That's just yeah. Like, no, and the logic of getting the T Rex is stupid anyway. But I forgive it because I want to see a T Rex. <laughs> Do you think to Trevor Rose's direction? I think personally it was very flat because it's trying a lot of the times to copy excellence in terms of Spielberg's original movie. Um, you know, whatever oh you might God. think of The Lost World. But yeah, what were you saying? Sorry. I was just about to put, I was just saying, oh my God, this is where the part where I put that gif of uh, Steve Carell from The Office going, thank you, because that's the main <laughs> point that I've got on for direction. He does a decent job with some good mm -hmm. set pieces, but he's not Spielberg. I mean, Spielberg would often get the tension pitch perfect between the, the quiet parts and the action. Trevor was good, but it never sells it. Like on the scene where they do discover the uh, the old Jurassic Park merchandise mm -hmm. and Owen and Claire are hiding behind the Jeep and the Indominus comes through the roof. It doesn't quite work because you know what's coming. But even though you you would you would get that same vibe in a Spielberg movie, Spielberg somehow would manage to pull it off, so it was still shocking. It would still have an impact. Trevor yeah, exactly. was good on visuals, but there's something missing. I think it's also a, a kind of a nerve in a movie that just says people want to see something different that then copies so many of the original beats and doesn't yeah. really give you. And I said they will miss the DNA or the Jurassic Park T-shirt or throwing in the line spared no expense. It's just, it's all detrimental to trying to make a unique movie the, of the Dilophosaurus hologram. Yes, exactly, yeah. And then like, we've mentioned all the other stuff, the T-Rex and everything, but it's just, it's, no, it's just weird. And if you want a good example for me of, like, the difference between Spielberg and Trevorrow, like, there's a lot of build-up in both movies before you get to the dinosaurs, other than, like, the very brief raptor scene at the start of the first movie. And the non-dinosaur build-up of the first Jurassic Park is a-plus filmmaking in my eyes. It's flawless. It sets up all the characters. The actors are all doing their jobs. And it's just, it's something, it's it's filmmaking at its best. Whereas the non-dinosaur build-up here is awful and has absolutely none of the magic of that original. You're just waiting for them to get to the park and for something to happen because there's nothing there. There's no spark at all. I did like the, as I, as I mentioned, I did like the scene where it's showing the park in operation with uh, the William score. I don't that, see. I don't because if you be honest, if you watch that scene on mute, you would feel nothing. So I don't really rate that. Yeah, that's true. It is. I, I, have we reached to it? Have we reached a point where we're so old that the only thing that gets to us is nostalgia? <laughs> well, no, because I resent that when they're doing it for like, like I said, that William Scott moment. It did get me the first time in the cinema, and I was like, oh, I remember this sense of awe and wonder. And if you give me something like that, but then the fact that it didn't, and like in future watches, I'm like, this is just you trying to manipulate me. And this to like, look the, how epic this is, but it's not. This is, yeah, this is the thing that I've, I've got written down. I, I shit you yeah. not. This is the other point that I, I was going to put. When you first see it, it's impressive on the big screen. Yes. But unlike the original, unlike Jurassic Park, when you watch it again and again, and I've only seen it another, I think, two times since I saw yeah, it in the cinema at home, it, it just falls flat. It's just, it doesn't hold anywhere near the impact that you get on the big screen. I don't think it's as flat as all that, so I should... Be able to no, 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 it's, uh, 
Before people think I'm going to just crap all over it. I don't think it's like the worst thing ever, and it's perfectly serviceable. But the thing is, like I said, when you're following a movie that I regard as perfection, to be like fine is kind of criminal, you know? Yeah, Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I would happily sit there and watch it again, and yeah, you know, numerous times. But it, it, if you sit down and you watch Jurassic Park, you know that Lex is going to fall through that ceiling. You know that the Velociraptor is going to jump up and try and snap it as they pull her up. But even mm. so, every single time, you're on edge. Yeah. On this one, I, I didn't get any of that this time. I see. It's, it, I, it, I, it works on the cinema, but when you're watching it on a small screen, it doesn't kind of play out the same. I would counter that there's moments that really do do that for me, um, not to just you know argue with you for the sake of it, but I think... The build-up to the Indominus Rex is actually, even though the dialogue is horribly on the nose, I think it's well-directed. Um, and the actual kind of idea of its escape and the cleverness of, like, you think it's clawed its way out, but it hasn't. For me, that kind of works really well. Um, the actual escape of it is less impressive because it's never really... It's never given the gravitas of something like the T-Rex escape from the first movie, but it still works for me on the level of, like, it's scary and you have the guy hiding in behind a truck that then gets eaten and Owen hiding and stuff, even though he's got the plot armor at that point. So to me, I was like, this is this is fine in terms of a just kind of, you know, uh, it's an action beat that you would find in any Jurassic Park sequel. Um, but that's it. It's just, but you said it yourself in your own words, it's fine. It's like something you'd see in any sequel, but it yeah. doesn't match what you would get in the first one. And I don't know if by being raised and growing up with the first one, whether it's a desensitizer, but it feels more like a regular action movie than it would a Jurassic Park movie. Yeah. But the thing is, I, see, I don't really mind the Jurassic Park sequels as in, like, two and three. I have a, still a soft spot Ooh. for them, so I can still watch them and I can still watch them and be like, yeah, this is good. You know, this is good action sequence. This is good or whatever. Um, but they're not on a par with the first movie, obviously. Yeah. Um, and so when there's moments like that, at least when something's happening, I'm like, well, you know, this is Trevorrow doing his take on a dinosaur action scene. And it's, you know, it's passable. I'll let it go. Um, but, yeah. I, I mean, don't get me wrong, that... I enjoyed it, and I'm glad he's directing Dominion, because I was completely impressed with Fallen Kingdom. So I'm glad he's he's coming back for this one. I, that, that, the weird thing is with Fallen Kingdom, I was completely unimpressed with everything after the halfway point, and yet everything in the first kind of 30 to 40 minutes, I think is more impressive to me than this movie, <laughs> which is really weird. Like, the opening T-Rex attack in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is probably my favourite dinosaur attack outside of the original movie, and yet oh. it's in a movie that I regard as the worst one. The only, thing the only thing that st- that that sticks in my mind from Fallen King, I've only seen it once, and the only thing that sticks in my mind is the Brachiosaur running to get on the the boat to mm. try to escape, and that just kills me even when I think about it. Yeah, it's oh, it's, it's heart wrenching. No, I I like the first half of that movie, but I think once the once the island's gone and they get off the island, the movie just loses any kind of focus, and it becomes stupid. It becomes haunted dinosaur mansion, which you know, daft. <laughs> yeah. Um, what what about the effects in this? Um, well, the thing is, I, that was one of the notes I had made about the direction, is that they do the kind of callback thing when they have a scene of the Gallimimus stampedes, but for some reason it looks worse than it did in 1993, which I don't know how they achieved that. <laughs> that's quite an accomplishment to look worse. Um, but that's the only time I would really say that, because, yes, I do kind of think the actual dinosaur attacks and the CGI and stuff kind of works really well. Um, I can't necessarily fault it other than, like, I don't love the design of the Indominus Rex, but I guess fair enough, I get what they were going for, it looks like a you know, T-Rex raptor mixed with coal fish and whatever else kind of crap <laughs> they jumped in there, so I'll forgive it um, 
Yeah. And it is kind of good. It is effective when they have it use the camouflage and stuff as well, which could have been a really bad effect. Yeah, um, I like I like how that was working, especially in that scene with the uh, the ACU and they yeah, find exactly. its tracker, and all of a sudden it just comes from out of the, the trees. There was one scene very early on, and I can't remember where, what the context was, but there was a scene when you see like the entire jungle in front of you because they are supposed to, and the IREX is there, and I genuinely didn't spot it, and I shocked myself because I was looking at this jungle and all I saw was a jungle, and then I saw at the corner of my eye the camouflaged Indominus Rex, and I was like, shit! <laughs> I think that's, that's yeah. I think that's the scene that I'm talking about. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think the FX for the most part hold. I think there's only one that looked a bit shaky to me on this viewing. Yeah, and weirdly enough, it was the uh, the section with the motorcycle where he's riding amongst the Velociraptors. Yeah, it's not great. But uh, everything yeah. else, I, th I think it's I think it still holds up. I will say I have to criticize this because it's the scene that I absolutely hate the most. Is the scene of Owen with the Raptors that's become the iconic scene of the movie of him like taming the three raptors with his arms out because i hate it so much it pisses on everything the first movie tried to set up about the raptors and it doesn't make sense like why wouldn't they just eat him they dive at the gate anyway when he dives like through the gateway so like what's stopping them are we meant to believe he's just that awesomely tough and is this meant to be exciting action because it's just not it just seemed to me it seemed borderline offensive to like somebody who enjoys these movies and again the they, keep, they keep coming back to that as well with like um even in the trailers for the third movie with like, oh, Blue, we're going to look after you and your kid. And I'm like, she's a freaking raptor. She would tear your head off if you yeah. gave her a chance. But, uh, anything okay. else you'd like to add? Any um, few, few final words before oh, we get to... Um, uh... A good little bit of directing touch that I noticed, and I sometimes pick up on these really nerdy things because I'm a film student. Um, but I did appreciate the fact that Claire kind of starts out pure clean white and Owen is really grubby and dirty. And that's kind of visual shorthand by the costumer or whoever uh, for their characters. And it also shows that Claire basically gets more and more grubby as the uh, as the film goes on, and she's kind of becoming more likable and more like Owen. So I yeah. appreciated that from a kind of um, uh, you know clothing perspective. Um, I liked the ACU attack, as I say, I thought it was quite well filmed, intense enough. Uh, the gyroscope, the, what you, gyrosphere attack was good, but it was just a rip off of the first movie, um, so it was hard to see anything other than that. There's a couple of good horror moments, like the bloody hand on the window, that's surprisingly good as well. Uh, some good shots of nature. Um, it's it does that really cheesy thing that where Hoskins, the D'Onofrio character, being the bad guy, he like um, stands and monologues while he immediately gets jumped on and killed. And I was like, oh no, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Going um, back to the bloody hand, I did like the bit where on the Indominus escape after it's eaten the guy that's sat in front of the truck. And it comes down to sniff at Owen, and there's just bits of this guy in between its teeth, and you just oh, oh yeah. yeah it, was thought, it was really clever as well, which I haven't mentioned that the plot does the thing of Owen disguising his smell with the petrol, um, because he has the sense to realize that when the Irex is attacking. And I was like, all right, that's cool, but it doesn't make it like a huge thing. It doesn't like have a scene explaining it or talk about it. It just it just looks like Chris Pratt dousing himself in petrol, and you're like, yeah, eh? until you realize why, and then you're like, oh okay, okay, I get it. That's clever. All right. <laughs> There's a, there's a lot of good moments to like in this movie, and as I say, it's I, I could watch it over and over. And I'm, I'm going to say something that you're going to probably hate me for, but come, alongside the original, this is probably my second favorite. Nah, see, I wouldn't say that. I've already made no secret to the fact that I genuinely think the movies go down in quality as they go on. So my ranking is literally one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. In that order. Well, we're going to come to that in a little bit. So yeah. is there anything else before we get to the audience participation? Yeah, just a couple of things. Um, 
just I will say I'd love the sound design in terms of like the noises that the creatures make and stuff. Um, so I have to shout out and give credit for where it's due to that one. So yeah, um, the, uh, the the T Rex didn't didn't the the T Rex sound didn't ring true for me compared to the originals. I don't know if it's I because the T Rex is supposed to be a lot older, but it didn't have that bone jarring aspect. Well, I think it's also also because it's supposed to be the good guy, so it would be kind of weird if you were scared of it. Because it, it plays it like here comes the heroic cavalry as opposed to like ah. <laughs> speaking of that See, scene, pe- yes, we now I'm picturing a T-Rex in a hat. <laughs> <laughs> Give it time. Um, but no, I have to talk about that scene and I have to address yes, I know there's a controversy. Yes, it is absolutely stupid that Claire's still wearing high heels and running from a T-Rex in them. I acknowledge that. Let's just move on because that got way too many column inches devoted to it. It's stupid, I, but no more so than a lot of things in this movie. Well, uh, we will go to audience participation. I mean, we asked, we asked uh, followers of the social media accounts what they thought, and while we got a few responders to the poll, we didn't get much in the way of comments until pretty much when we came up to this recording. So I'll go through a couple, and then I know you've got a couple, Mike. Yeah, if, so, if, you, if you miss any, I've got them. But um, if you've got them, that's fine. No worries. We're, we had one from The Girl Who Waited on Twitter who says, when Jurassic Park released, I was Tim's age and equally enamoured with dinosaurs. When Jurassic World released, it was like a blast from the past. Another wild, line, oh, start again, another wild ride that I thoroughly enjoyed. Definitely a feat of modern engineering and cannot wait to see the original trio again. Again, people are going back to the nostalgia, I think, more than mm. it standing on its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, we've got one from here from Melina Vader says big fan of the Jurassic Park slash world franchise I love Jurassic World the idea that they still think they can play God by not being aware of the consequences and approving Ian Malcolm's chaos theory she did also say that she enjoyed Fallen Kingdom and the opening to that one was beautiful and scary mm-hmm. which is going back to what you said I did like that yeah actually. so you said you've got a couple as well I do. Um, well, I have one from um, Tom Sly, uh, who is a regular contributor, at underscore Tom Sly, who just says, I really enjoyed it when the original theme played during the helicopter scene. I got chills. So straight to the point. Um, mm-hmm. Andrew Kemp at Andy Kemp 96. Hello. Uh, says it was perfectly serviceable fun. I really liked the idea of the Indominus Rex. It was a cool way to modernize the film for a new audience and to be able to up the dinosaur threat. Very enjoyable, if nothing, if not anything groundbreaking. Okay, fair enough. Uh, that's my friend Andy there. Uh, his podcast co-host Sarah Young at Confused Sarah says, Cracking, good ending, but frankly not as much of an impact as the first movie. I'm interested to see what they do with the last in the series. And uh, Andy's partner and podcast co-host Phil at Crazy Pilf says, I was initially sceptical if world would be any good. And while there are some odd moments like the unnecessarily drawn out and hilarious death of Zara, and Jurassic World does seem to retread old ground from Jurassic Park, it's also a suitable successor with plenty of dino carnage. So that's fair enough. Um, The other things, I don't know if you wanted to deal with the polls and and things like that. Yeah, I know you did a poll. Uh, I was going to go on the official poll first and then see what you've got. I mean, on on the official one, there were three choices, ranking from hated it, average, and loved it. Poll results were were that while no one hated it outright, 44.4% thought it was only average, whereas 55.6% loved it. It seems it was popular, but a bit of a mixed bag for many. What about uh, about your poll, Mike? I did see, yes. 
with Jurassic World Dominion out in cinemas very soon, what would you rate the original Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard starring Jurassic World? Uh, and I gave four options, so it was out of four stars, ranging from one to four. Uh, there was 36 votes, uh, 3% gave it one star, 11% gave it two stars, 25% gave it three stars. But by far the winner with 61% was the highest score of four stars, which genuinely surprised me. Uh, yeah, I think it seems there's a lot of... Yeah, very different than what I thought at the time. Yeah, it seems there's a lot like in it. Just out of curiosity, what were your rankings again for the uh, the movies? Uh, you said you were, the movies. The... It goes basically in the order of the movies released. So the first one, my my most liked would be the first Jurassic Park. My least liked would be Fallen Kingdom, and then it goes. You know, number two is the second movie, Lost World. Number three is Jurassic Park three. Then number four is Jurassic World. So, yeah, oh, I think it's genuine. I'm... They genuinely have gotten gradually worse as they went oh, on. In my eyes, see, I'm going to go away. I'll, I'll give you mine. The first one, Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Second one, as I said, Jurassic World. We're going to have to disagree on this one a bit. It's fine. That's allowed. <laughs> Third one, bit of a cheat, but I'm going to say Camp Cretaceous. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I didn't think about uh, it. Number four, Jurassic Park 3. Uh, number five, Fallen Kingdom and The Lost World tied because I really felt disappointed when I saw The Lost World. I love The Lost you say, World. That's I a... still do. <laughs> that's where no, we differ, it's... definitely. Uh... <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so... Uh, now we've got that done uh with regards to your uh favorites do you have a favorite line uh we're doing it that order yeah <laughs> fair enough um, oh no i'll start on favorite scene sorry i got a bit sidetracked on that on character the moment here. in line that i normally do <laughs> yeah oh character then go for it um yeah sorry about that yeah my favorite character it was obviously i kind of mentioned it and hinted at it it was lowry the jake johnson character um because he is the audience surrogate he's three-dimensional he's He's a rare for this kind of movie in that he actually does have a bit more going on than just cliche. Um, and he is also smart, heroic, moral, funny, but still realistic. So, yeah, I would go with the, the Jake Johnson character, Lowry, my favorite character. Nice one. Uh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna say Masrani for mine. Yeah, that I, makes I sense. That think, sense. Yeah, I don't think I need to go over it again. I just think he's a he was a really a really great character and a really good performance by Irfan Khan, and I'm I'm really sorry that he's uh, he's no longer with us. And for your favorite scene, uh, it's gonna be cliche again, but it was the end fight because I'm just a sucker for the obvious. Um, I'm happy any time a T Rex turns up in these movies, I still get the same thrill, even though this movie tries to postulate that that shouldn't be the case or whatever. I just love it. I love the Jurassic Park T Rex. I think it's great. So I was uh, falling for that. Plus, I really did think it was a clever twist that it's the Mosasaurus. That kind of sort of comes out and saves the day at the end because saves the day, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the fact that I, I didn't even realize that they, you know, they're gradually edging the IREX closer to the the pool compound area or whatever. And when the Mosa jumps out, I remember like actually almost laughing with weird kind of joy at the cinema where I was like, <laughs> "What the heck just happened? That's brilliant!" So yeah, <laughs> nice like one. That. I'm gonna go for mine. The, it's not not the fight at the end. The uh, the raptor chase, not the one where they're actually going after the Indominus, but the one where the raptors are actually coming after them. The one where Claire's driving mm. the van and the raptors yes. keep trying to get inside. Do like that, and that was I quite horror, that was horror movie style. That scene, yeah, very. Yeah, I, I kind of like that. That was uh, that brought back feelings of the original to me and good feelings. Yeah. Fair enough. That makes okay. sense. Okay, uh, and what's your favorite line? Uh, my favorite line is a joke. I apologize in advance, but it's um, when the kids are with Claire and Owen finally, and they say, can we stay with you? And Claire responds, uh, I'm, I'm never leaving you for the rest of my life. And they immediately go, no, 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 him. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I just I, love John cutting of like the heroic moment. I just I do like that. I do like that. But that immediately comes after the scene where Claire's just kicking all kinds of ass. Yeah. With the yeah, yeah. Tyrannodons. So it kind of felt I don't know, it kind of I just thought, mm, mm, I like the line. But yeah. I think to me the one is the one that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, monster is a relative term. To a canary, a cat is a monster. We're just used to being the cat. Yes, perfect. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, BD Wong had the, some of the best lines between him and uh, and and Earth and Car. Uh, yeah. and Khan, Sorry, I just uh, yeah, very good scene. So, do you want to give your conclusion? Certainly. Uh, I just have a paragraph or two. So I just said. Um, it's a perfectly serviceable film, but in a franchise of continual diminishing returns, which has never touched the perfection of the original movie. The constant callbacks to it serve to just enhance how much more poorly this is paced, edited, written, performed, and executed for the most part. They're still fun to be had, though, although slow to start when the dino carnage begins. It's as fun, exciting, and entertaining as ever, though lacking a little of the extra bite that better development of the film around it would give. Apologies for the pun. Uh, there's some <laughs> clever ideas, both macro and micro, a handful of good acting moments, some really impressive directing at times, and it ends with a fan-pleasing rumble that, while cynically manufactured, hollow and dumber than a box of hammers, still feels worth the watch for <laughs> passively entertaining, cheap thrills. In fact, that's probably the best way I could sum up the whole movie. Uh, and I gave it three stars out of five. Well, that's fair enough. Okay, I'm going to give mine. It's, it's quite long, so bear with me, okay? No problem. It says, Jurassic Park's one of my all-time favourite movies. Always been a dino nerd, yet the sequels Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 let me down immensely. I would personally have been happy without another entry in the series, so I approached this movie with cautious optimism. And honestly, whether it was the low expectations or not, I was pleasantly surprised with the result. Personally, this was the most enjoyable of the movies since the original for me. doesn't come close to the Spielberg classic, of course, but out of the sequels we've had, for my money, it was the most successful in capturing the spirit of the original. That's not to say it's perfect, far from it. While it's heavy on spectacle and relies heavily on the attraction of Chris Pratt, who at that point was a rising star and not so problematic, rather than having anything meaningful to say past its initial point, it delivers plenty of almost dino action. You know, for going back to, this is not a dinosaur. A layer of commercialism over the original. For example, this movie features movie stars, in my opinion, while the original featured actors. It's a glossy coat of paint with new characters that are pretty to look at, but do not have the depth or the likability of Grant, Sadler, Malcolm, etc. And if I seem to be referencing that movie a little too much in this review, it's because it's a trait that the movie is also guilty of. It's filled to the brim with touchstones that modern audiences will recognise. Disney-like statue of Hammond, Main Street, the monorail, restaurant franchises and merchandising. So much so that it can't quite seem to stand on its own feet without constant referral to the original. Although being such a fan, the appearance of elements from the first movie was a welcome sight and heightened the experience for me. It's very much a flashy but hollow retread, but considering that's the point they were making regarding the park in the first place, I can almost forgive them this meta-commentary aspect. The action doesn't hold up as much on home viewing as it did in the cinema, and that's the most fundamental difference between what came before and this iteration, giving an air of having slightly more style over substance. For me, this feels almost like a theme park ride based on the premise rather than a standalone instalment of a franchise on its own merit and relies heavily on nostalgia to carry its ideas across. However, the most important aspect to me is if I had fun watching it. And the answer to that is a resounding yes. 
Despite its flaws, it's the closest I came in the cinema to the experience of the first film, and I have enjoyed and in some cases loved what was happening on screen. If anything, it gave me hopes that a Jurassic Park movie could be more than a straight-to-DVD option once again, and for that I'm grateful. Criticism aside, I really like it, and if all the copies of the original were to disappear, this is the one that I would return to in its place. And I've given it 4 out of 5, which gives it an average of uh, 3.5 out of 5. Yeah, okay. That's, again, higher than I expected, I think, from you and the average, but... Um, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Right, yeah. so there you have it. You've heard our thoughts on the movie. If you've got anything to add, please contact us either on the aforementioned social media accounts, which can be found on Facebook under Silver Screen Podcast, Twitter at podcast underscore screen, or leave a comment on our YouTube channel. And if you like this episode, please like, subscribe, and share, and also check out the other episodes. I'd also encourage you to check out our sister podcast dedicated to all things Star Trek. That's the Hit or Miss podcast, which, like the silver screen, can be found under Mike's podcasts on YouTube, as well as under Apple, Google, Spotify, and everywhere you download your podcasts. And please check that out. We've got a lot of fun stuff coming up on there. So have you got anything to add, Mike? Anything, anywhere the listeners can get in touch or anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, well, as usual, as you say, you've, you've plugged both the podcasts, but we can be found Mike's podcast feed anywhere you get audio, um, pretty much everywhere. Uh, YouTube is Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast or Silver Screen podcast, as DK said. And uh, I just wanted to thank DK for taking the lead hosting duties. And you can find me, as always, at Iron Mike Wilson on Twitter or just my name anywhere else on the internet where Michael Wilson's are bought or sold. Nice one. And I can be found on Twitter at aka Starlord. I've also just recently started a staff writer on waterfactortrek.com, so please keep an eye out for my articles. And, you know, just generally check the site. I know it's a fantastic site for Star Trek fans and it's got some decent writers there. Now, nice. our next episode will be a, uh, in a few days from now. Uh, it's with Mike, Will Templer, and myself. We'll be looking at Toy Story 2 just in time for the release of Disney's Lightyear. So if you've got any comments or memories on that movie, then again, please hit us up on social media and let us know your thoughts. So all that's left to say is thank you for joining us. We hope to see you next time. A big thank you to Mike, not only for joining me, but for allowing me to make a fool of myself in my first fully hosted Silver Screen podcast. Thank you, Mike. You're good. <laughs> all right. Hopefully we'll see you all next time. And remember, in the words of Arnie, rubber baby, rubber baby buggy bumpers. Jesus, I can't say that. <laughs> we'll be back. <laughs> <laughs>